welcome to the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. My name is Edith Nutescu, and I am an Associate Professor and Director of the Center for Pharmacoepidemiology and Pharmacoeconomic Research at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I also serve as one of the scientific editors for Pharmacotherapy. Today, we're talking with Dr. Antoine Jenkins, about his paper titled Contemporary Use of Oral Antithrombotic Agents, Focus on Dual and Triple Therapeutic Approaches. Dr. Jenkins is a clinical associate professor at Chicago State University. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jenkins. Hi, um, thank you very much for having me today. here today. Dr. Jenkins, could you please give us a brief overview of the problem that you reviewed in your recent paper published in Pharmacotherapy? Sure. Um, I feel that we as clinicians, um, we have many of the necessary tools in place to manage patients with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or, or ASCVD and other types of thrombotic ailments. Of course, there's always room for improvements with our current practices and any novel developments from research studies are, are most welcome. Specifically, as it relates to the use of combining oral antithrombotic agents across the spectrum of thrombotic conditions, there are several overarching issues to consider. Um, number one, each of the clinical manifestations of atherothrombosis has individual nuances that must be considered prior to making a specific therapeutic recommendation. For instance, the ability to potentially use dual antiplatelet therapy with aspirin and prosegrel in acute STEMI patients, but not in patients with acute ischemic stroke management. Number two, deciding specifically which agents should be used and for what and should be used for what indication. Uh, number three, determining what duration of combination therapy is most appropriate for your individual patient. Um, next, asserting the role of the newest oral anti antiplatelet agent, Vorpaxar, in the management of, of ASCVD. And lastly, just interpreting data from research studies and fishing through guideline recommendations from major medical, um, me major medical organizations, which may be incomplete or uh, may not be con completely congruent with one another depending on, the depending on the specific disease state. So because of all those issues, um, myself and my co-authors, um, Dr. Alexander Kantorovich, who's a clinical associate professor in internal medicine, um, clinical pharmacist, and Dr. Luma Berman, who's a clinical assistant professor and an ambulatory care clinical pharmacist, we want to develop a comprehensive compilation to assist frontline clinicians when managing patients who are receiving either dual or triple antithrombotic regimens. We wanted to provide a document for practitioners to do one-stop shopping, so to speak. Um, it's our hope that our paper can help clinicians in the process of evaluating the totality of clinical evidence, assessing recommendations from guideline experts, uh, recognizing patient-specific factors, and making use of sound clinical judgment when these patients present to their respective medical services. Uh, that was a, a great overview of a fairly controversial clinical issue, Dr. Jenkins. Um, yes. And what I would like to do now, follow up with a few more specific questions sure. to um, hopefully better highlight, you know, some of the key takeaways of your paper. 
And so the next question I would like you to address is um, if uh, you could uh, maybe lay out for us um, who are uh, truly the best candidates or the candidates that definitely require dual or triple antithrombotic therapy approaches? Sure. Um, so for those who definitely require a dual antithrombotic regimen, um, specifically antiplatelet therapy, dual antiplatelet therapy with a P2Y12 receptor inhibitor and aspirin, our patients with recent acute coronary syndrome, um, specifically those status post in STEMI or STEMI who, uh, who undergo intracoronary stenting, um, patients with ST segment elevation, uh, acute coronary syndrome who undergo an ischemia-guided strategy would also require dual antiplatelet therapy. Also, patients with refractory chronic stable angina undergoing elective PCI would also require dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, now, in the setting of acute coronary syndrome and, and refractory ischemic heart disease, the choice of your P2Y12 receptor inhibitor will depend on it will depend upon the specific indication and the intervention method. However, there should be other factors that should be taken into consideration, such as individual bleeding risk, um, history, prior history of ischemic stroke or TIA, um, the presence of relevant drug interactions, medication affordability, and an overall degree of medication compliance. Um, Another setting where one may see dual antiplatelet therapy being used, uh, specifically with clopidogrel and aspirin, is post-TAVR. Um, however, there is some data from smaller studies that supports using aspirin monotherapy after aortic valve replacement. Now, once we go beyond those settings, the requirement for dual antiplatelet therapy becomes less cut and dry with weaker class recommendations from nationally published guidelines. Um, for instance, using dual antiplatelet therapy with clopidogrel and aspirin may be considered in select patients within the first 24 hours of minor stroke or TIA. Now, this is a class 2B recommendation with a level of evidence B is boy. As far, now, as far as uh, requiring a triple antithrombotic regimen, meaning dual antiplatelet therapy plus an anticoagulant, a common group of patients um, where you would see this particular regimen would be those with a history of stroke, I'm, I'm sorry, a history of acute coronary syndrome with concomitant um, atrial fibrillation. Um, an estimated 10 to 15% of patients who undergo PCI also have concomitant AFib. Um, patients with a history of acute coronary syndrome who develop venous thromboembolism would also require anticoagulation. In general, though, um, there's a paucity of data um, regarding the optimal management approach for patients who require three agents and specific guidance from major medical organizations, unfortunately, are limited at this time. Well, so that was great. And so now that uh, we know who are the candidates that definitely would qualify or require a dual or triple therapy approach, if you could um, uh, please highlight for us what is then the optimal length of therapy in these patients to maximize the benefit of dual or triple therapy, but on the other end, reduce potential harm, which as we all know, is a major concern in using this kind combination therapies? Dr. Natescu, that is the million-dollar question <laughs> that many have struggled with. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, first, I guess I'll discuss dual therapy. Um, just this past year, the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, they published a focused guideline on the duration of dual antiplatelet therapy in patients with CAD. 
Now, in comparison to other guideline iterations, I, I, I think that the overall tone of their recommendations regarding dual antiplatelet therapy, um, their, their tone has an increased emphasis on safety without undermining benefit. Um, for example, in the setting of elective PCI, uh, dual antiplatelet therapy with clopidogrel is now um, is now recommended for at least six months, even after the deployment of drug-eluting stents. This is now a class one recommendation, and it's a major shift from prior guideline iterations where 12 months have been the traditional standard. Um, now, treatment courses in those individuals may be shortened or extended depending on patient-specific factors, but the class of those recommendations are weaker. But in general, when managing patients with CAD, those with high ischemic risk but low bleeding risk may be better candidates for prolonged durations of uh, dual antiplatelet therapy versus those with lower ischemic risk but higher bleeding risk. Now, when it comes to triple therapy, however, as I mentioned in the first question, um, due to the positive data, uh, we still don't have a, a definitive direction in terms of an exact duration of therapy, unfortunately. Um, additionally, management approaches amongst experts are not are not 100% congruent. And I say this because there are two consensus documents that are available, um, one from North American experts and one from European experts. And they discuss the management and they discuss specific management strategies in patients with AFib who undergo coronary staining. Now, while there are some definite similar similarities in their recommendations, there are also some distinctions as well. Um, the ACC AHA focus guideline that I mentioned previously they briefly discussed triple therapy. However, they failed to define an optimal length of therapy. Just due to the further increased risk of bleeding imparted by a triple therapy regimen, um, they do recommend limiting treatment duration, if at all possible. But again, unfortunately, there's no blanket recommendation, no defined length of therapy that's been specified at this time. Sure. Well, well, thank you for uh, that very excellent insight on this question. And so then um, to follow this train of thought further, in addition to assuring that we pick the appropriate length of therapy in these patients, what would be some additional recommended strategies that clinicians can apply in practice to balance the bleeding risk against the benefit that we gain in terms of thrombosis reduction with using these combination therapies? Okay, great question. Um, attempts at balancing the thrombotic and bleeding risk can be very challenging, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> um, these challenges exist for multiple reasons. Um, I think one very simple but effective strategy um, that clinicians can can do to help balance the risk and the risk of thromb the, excuse me the, thromb the thrombotic and bleeding risk is upfront communication with our patients regarding the potential adverse effects of the drugs, particularly related to bleeding. Now, um, we live during a time of direct-to-consumer pharmaceutical drug marketing, which I feel is a, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> and, you know, our patients, they watch television and they're seeing advertisements from attorneys um, regarding the negative effects of anticoagulants. And these market employees can impact one's will, uh, willingness to remain compliant on an antithrombotic regimen. Um, so that's where we kind of come into play, again, with that upfront communication, letting patients know exactly what to expect from their regimens. Thus, it's important for clinicians to alert patients ahead of time in regards to how to handle bleeding episodes should they occur, alerting them about the possibility of nuisance bleeding that may occur, 
um, I feel if patients are aware ahead of time, they may be less apt to discontinue medications on their own, thus lessening the thrombotic risk. Um, another method of balancing thrombotic and bleeding risk um, is the use of uh, risk stratifications risk stratification tools or using scoring models to help in the decision-making process. One of the newer scoring models that's discussed in the paper is called the dual antiplatelet therapy scoring tool. Now, this is a novel prediction rule that um, was devised, that was devised from the results of a secondary analysis of the DAPT study, which was published in New England in 2014. Um, the scoring system was designed to provide guidance in determining whether dual antiplatelet therapy should continue past the 12-month duration, the standard 12-month duration. Although the 2016 ACC AHA updates in the duration of DAPT um, advocates for the use of the scoring system, um, there are some limitations to the prediction rule at this time. And um, so in addition to that, like I said, the clinicians definitely need to make sure that using their best clinical judgment when managing these patients. Uh, patients receiving dual, especially triple antithrombotic therapy should be evaluated at every encounter um, because things can change, in, you know, in a patient's life. And based upon those findings from those visits, clinicians should be flexible and be prepared to change the regimen itself or alter the duration of therapy again based upon what's going on with your individual patient. Well, excellent. So, so those were some excellent points that I think you know we all um, need to consider in practice uh, in in treating and interacting with these patients. And so, with your paper, obviously, you have focused on uh, reviewing the most recent evidence in the area. But for our reviewers and practitioner colleagues, I would also like to ask you maybe to highlight any evidence that you came across that emerged. Let's say over the past five years that has stood out to you the most or that you feel has the greatest potential to influence our clinical practice in this area? Sure. Um, there is some interesting data as it relates to um, patients with atrial fibrillation requiring PCI, um, particularly the WOS trial, which was published in Lancet in 2013, and the Pioneer um, Atrial Fibrillation PCI study, which was published last, last year in New England. The overarching objective of both of these trials was to evaluate the um, aspirin omission from our traditional antithrombotic regimen. Um, both studies compared traditional triple therapy with warfarin being the anticoagulant in WOST and rifaroxaban being the anticoagulant in the Pioneer AFib PCI trial. Um, so though that regimen was compared to a dual antithrombotic regimen consisting of clopidogrel and the anticoagulant. Um, both trials evaluated the safety endpoint of bleeding as their primary outcomes. And as one might anticipate, there was a reduced occurrence of bleeding in the dual therapy groups in comparison to the triple therapy regimens. Now, there are some noteworthy limitations in these studies, uh, one of the main ones being the fact that neither trial was adequately powered to assess for ischemic endpoints. However, the results from WOST was compelling enough to prompt the authors from the latest atrial fibrillation guidelines from ACC, AHA, the Heart Rhythm Society, to deem it reasonable to use clopidogrel along with an oral anticoagulant without aspirin, albeit a class 2B recommendation. Now, this recommendation conflicts with what's stated in the latest guideline iteration from the European Society of Cardiology, 
as they still recommend a triple therapy approach. Um, that recommendation, too, is also based on low levels of evidence. Thus, dual therapy, the dual, uh, dual therapy approach in this area still remains relatively controversial. Surprisingly, the concept of aspirin omission was also evaluated in early phase acute coronary syndrome management. Uh, the results of the Gemini Acute Coronary Syndrome 1 trial was published in Lancet last year. Now, this was a phase two study in which patients with recent acute coronary syndrome taking a P2Y12 receptor inhibitor were randomized to either low-dose aspirin or very low-dose rivaroxaban. Now, similar to Wolf's in the Pioneer, the Pioneer trial that I mentioned earlier, the primary endpoint centered on bleeding. And after about a nine-month median follow-up, the investigators did not note any differences between the endpoint. Again, the endpoint related to bleeding. Also, much like the Wost and Pioneer trial, um, the study was underpowered to determine efficacy. Thus, thus, this is interesting data from a safety perspective. However, additional investigation of this approach in the acute setting will be warranted at this time. Great. Well, thank you very much. Um, and I know that you have already mentioned um, uh, in certain instances what guidelines recommend, but I would like to circle back to this and maybe ask you, you know, to give me the top two, three must-known recommendations from nationally published guidelines on this subject. So, you know, for a practitioner to walk away and say, look, you know, if I remember anything from this, these are, you know, the key guideline recommended um, or the two, three key guideline recommendations that I must know. Sure. Um, so I'll touch on um, a couple of um, guidelines. So I already mentioned the ACC AHA focus guideline on the duration of dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, and I kind of already talked about one already. So they now have relax their recommendations for using dual antiplatelet therapy in patients who undergo elective PCI. Six months of dual antiplatelet therapy, even after drug and lutein stents are deployed, that's the new standard. And this is a 12, this is a change from the standard 12 months. Um, they also now recommend aspirin 81 milligrams daily for maintenance as opposed to higher doses in patients with acute coronary syndrome. And this is now a class one recommendation. Now, prior in STEMI and STEMI management guidelines, the recommendation for lower doses of aspirin carried a class 2A recommendation. I feel that this change is important because it underscores the importance of safety when using these drugs. Um, the latest iteration of the AHA American Stroke Association guidelines, um, they now recommend dual antiplatelet therapy with clopidogrel. Um, it has a limited role in the acute management of minor stroke and TIA. Now, select patients, dual antiplatelet therapy should be used for three weeks. Uh, this recommendation was based upon a 2014 study known as the CHANCE trial, which was published in New England. I would caution clinicians, however, to think about the study limitations from CHANCE before recommending this regimen routinely to a broad spectrum of patients who present with minor stroke or TIA. And lastly, in the first question, I briefly mentioned the role of Vorpaxar in managing patients with ASCVD. Now, this agent was introduced to market in 2015, and it has a novel mechanism of action. Um, its FDA-approved indication is for use in patients with a history of MI or established uh, PAD, peripheral arterial disease, and it can be used in combination with aspirin and or clopidogrel. Unfortunately, this agent has yet to make much headway, and we're still largely unclear when this agent may be truly warranted. 
there was no mention of this drug in the 2016 ACC AHA focus guideline that I mentioned earlier. No mention there. Um, there was a brief mention of the guideline um, from uh, for management of peripheral artery disease. Um, brief mention of the use of this drug, but they, again, they provided very little guidance on specifically when this drug should be used. Thus, clinicians are left with utilizing best clinical judgment when deciding if this drug should be in fact used in their patient population. Well, great, Dr. Jenkins. So um, you've very nicely touched on some of the uh, evidence that emerged over the past uh, four or five years, uh, some of the recent guideline recommendations. And so in closing, what I would like to ask you is uh, what new evidence can we look forward to over the next few years? And how do you think uh, that this emerging evidence perhaps will influence the use of combination antithrombotic therapies? Sure. So it's funny you should ask that question. Um, a couple of days after our paper was accepted for publication around the end of August, um, the 2017 uh, European Society of Cardiology Congress was going on in Barcelona. I wish I could have been there, but I, I was here in yeah. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and from that conference, several noteworthy papers were discussed um, for instance, uh, redual PCI, which involved AFib patients who undergone PCI. Um, here, the concept of aspirin omission uh, was evaluated, and the anticoagulant that was used was dabigatran. Um, this study can be found in New England. Um, there are, are two other similar studies that are ongoing at this time. The Entrust AFib PCI trial, which is involving edoxaban, and the Augustus study, which is involving abixaban. Um, COMPASS was a study that was also recently um, introduced, and COMPASS compared low doses of twice-daily rivaroxaban plus aspirin to aspirin monotherapy in patients with stable CAD, ASCVD, excuse me. Uh, this study can be found in New England. Um, the Tropical Acute Coronary Syndrome study. Now, this study evaluated the concept of de-escalating um, PGY12 receptor inhibitors in the acute setting, thus going from a more potent platelet inhibitor such as prosegril in the acute setting down to um, clopidogrel. Now, patients in the de-escalation group were compared to those who remain on a more potent agent. Um, this study can be found in Lancet. I believe there's some more down the pipeline as it relates to use of very low dose rivaroxaban, uh, meaning the 2.5 milligram uh, twice daily dosing. Um, I, I believe that dose has kind of sparked some interest. So I believe there's going to be more down the pipeline as it relates to that. Um, and I think that is all that I have. Well, it right certainly now, seems like a very rapidly emerging field with, you know, quite a bit of new evidence that has even emerged since the publication of your paper in uh, pharmacotherapy. Yes. So this was a, a very yes. nice update. And so, um, Dr. Jenkins, um, uh, we could be talking to you uh, 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 continuously about this, you know, <laughs> fairly interesting and controversial uh, subject or topic of your paper. 
but um, thank you for doing such a tremendous job of highlighting the key takeaways and then uh, from your paper and also some of the most recent and emerging evidence in the area. Now, to our listeners, of course, we could continue to talk uh, with Dr. Jenkins, but I, what I would like to do is refer you to his excellent review of therapeutics um, of uh, his recently published paper in pharmacotherapy for a more extensive discussion and a fairly comprehensive reference list on this important topic. So Dr. Jenkins, thank you again for your time and for a very excellent summary. Again, thank you again for the invitation. I am del I was delighted to do it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another ACCP podcast episode. Our theme music is called Rocket Power and is licensed by Creative Commons. Please take a moment to recommend this podcast and subscribe via iTunes so that you'll get notified of when our next episode will be released.